Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We have been in a series now for nine weeks entitled By Faith, The Sequel. And we're calling it The Sequel because we are revisiting those two words, by faith, that God gave to us at the beginning of 2022 as a prophetic invitation to step into what we believed he had for us this year. Uh, The words come from what many scholars and theologians have called the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, where uh, we see great men and women of biblical history past who accomplished great things as a result of their faith. And at the beginning of this year, we, we looked at their stories in hopes of allowing those stories to inspire us to live in like kind, to live lives of faith, to pray for the impossible, to believe for that which we cannot see. But as that series concluded in the spring and we got into the fall a couple of months ago in our four-year anniversary, we couldn't shake the thought that there was still so much more God wanted to do with those words in this community. More breakthrough, more opportunity, more marriages healed, more uh, physical bodies healed as we saw even this last week and uh, more people operating in the gifts of the spirit and more people being baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, more names inside this box that don't know Jesus yet, but they shall come to know him and bow their knee and confess him as Lord. And so. We decided to conclude the year the same way we started the year uh, to once again revisit what it looks like to live by faith. Uh, Only this time, we're not looking at the stories in Hebrews 11. We're looking at a song we wrote and released back in September called By Faith. And each week, we're taking the lyrics of that song and the corresponding scriptures that inspired those lyrics and using that as a catalyst to get into the sermons. Uh, Robin joked last week that for four weeks, in true San Francisco fashion, we have been stuck on the bridge of the song. (laughs) Great joke, by the way. Awesome. Uh, Today, I offer reprieve. We are not going to be in the bridge. Uh, We're going to what is known by the musicians as the interlude of the song. And the interlude is actually what leads into the bridge of the song. So this is like Highway 101 and 280 coming together as you get onto the bridge, all right? Her joke was better. That's great. Okay. Here's the lyrics we're going to be looking at today. It says this, spinning hope into reality, though I can't see it, I believe. Open the door, the future's lost on me, but there's not a thing that you don't see. Uh, Pastor Jazzy, our kids pastor, uh, shared on this particular line in the song back in October. Great message. You can go back and listen to it. Uh, And she hit the majority of those lyrics. But today, I want to focus on those first four words, spinning hope into reality. I love that lyric. I think it is probably my favorite lyric in the whole song. And the reason I love that lyric is because I think it so concisely captures the ministry of Jesus. Spend a couple minutes reading through the Gospels and it won't take long for you to realize that everywhere Jesus went, he spun people's hope into a new reality. He was in the business of spinning hope into reality, whether it was the hope that he might be able to heal someone's body, the hope that he could provide for a need, the hope that he could deliver somebody from oppression. Time and time again, when people ran to the feet of Jesus or they called out to him in faith, we see that he takes their hope and he turns it into a different reality. And and just to be clear, he didn't do that only in the scriptures. He still does it today. You can hope for 444 days for God to spin something into a different reality and he is still in the business of taking that thing that seems impossible where all you've got is hope that you can bring to the table and say, I can work with that hope. I can turn that into a new reality. That that is the definition of faith. 
We read it again in our, in our Bible reading plan this last week in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that faith is the confidence that that which we hope for will actually come to pass. It's the assurance of these things that we do not see. To be a person who lives by faith is to believe, to have this deep-rooted conviction that God can spin our hopes into a different reality. And today what I'd like to do is I wanna look at a story in scripture where that reality is painted quite beautifully. Uh, in full disclosure, I don't believe it is the scripture that Justin had in mind when he wrote that lyric down. Uh, in fact, I'm confident it was not, uh, but I'm in charge here and I'm gonna preach whatever I wanna preach. No, I, I really wanted to get to this story in scripture because I, I think it so powerfully displays what it looks like to come to Jesus with just a little bit of hope in your heart. So, so if you got a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter one. Uh, we're gonna start in verse 40 and, and it goes like this. A man with an advanced case of leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be healed. Pause for a moment. We're not going to go down this road in the sermon, but I want to hit this real quick. As I, as I read that this week, I was reminded that often one of the greatest tensions we experience as believers is the tension between God's ability and his willingness. Often we don't question God's ability. Of course, Jesus can heal. Of course, Jesus can save. Jesus can deliver. But when it becomes personal, we start to ask this question, is he willing to do it for me? Is he willing to heal me? Is he willing to deliver me? Is he willing to restore my situation? What I love about this story is it reveals the heart of God. You do not just serve a Jesus that is able to do the impossible, but he is willing to do the impossible in your life. He is capable and willing to extend miracles to you. I love that about this text. So Jesus touches the guy and he says, be healed. And then the scripture goes on to say, instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anybody about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who've been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and he spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay outside in these secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Kept coming to him, spinning hope into reality. I want, I'm gonna call this chat, it's a bit of an odd title today and I don't want you to get messed up with it, but we're gonna play with it a little bit. I wanna call this chat, I'm Contagious. Why don't you turn to somebody next to you real quick and just tell them, look in their eyes and say, I'm contagious, yeah. <laughs> How to shrink the church in one weekend. I'm contagious, there we go, all right. <laughs> Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, these are not ancient stories captured in leather-bound pages that don't really serve any purpose other than to hope and inspire, and, but really these words have the ability to transform the way that we live. Your word brings light into dark places. It cuts to the heart of where we're living. And right now as we open up the scriptures and we unpack this story, although the events of it took place a couple thousand years ago, it has relevance to our life today. And so we pray you'd speak to us, that we'd open up our hearts and hear from you, but more importantly, that we would be transformed by your word today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, amen. All right, moment of truth here on a Sunday morning, okay? This was a very weak participation at the 9 a.m., so I expect better from y'all, all right? 
Where are my germophobic people in the room? You do not like being around germs. Come on, be bold, be bold. Shake that hand in the air. There's no germs in the air, it's gonna be okay. You know what I'm talking about? The, I don't share cups with people. Don't come near me if you're coughing. Okay, yeah. You're my people, all right? I see you, I know you, I understand you, I share your convictions. I wanna proclaim from the stage publicly today, I am a self-diagnosed germaphobe, it is true. Uh, and that might be a bit like of a head scratch considering the way that we led this church through COVID, but that was all Jesus, that was supernatural, that was not me. In the flesh, I am a germaphobic person. And I understand that like most of my, my phobic tendencies are irrational in nature, but they do help me sleep at night, and so I embrace them. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, for example, I love my wife. We've been married for 18 years. Uh, thank you. Uh, we will be married for 19 years next year. That's usually how it works. Uh, and I'm sorry if this is overshare, uh, but I'm, I'm gonna tell you anyway. Um, I like to kiss her. We enjoy kissing. We do have a couple of children, do the math. So. I like to kiss her. We, we kiss often. I have no problem locking lips, uh, mouth to mouth, you know, swap and spit, whatever phrase you like for it. But although I have no problem with my mouth touching her mouth, for some reason, I don't like my mouth touching other things that her mouth might have touched. I know it's weird, it's irrational, it doesn't make sense, but follow me. I can share a plate of food with her. In fact, I think that is one of the great benefits of being married. The ability to share food at restaurants without looking like a glutton and ordering two meals for yourself. That's worth it. If you're looking for a motivation right now to get married, I offer you this. You can share food at restaurants, it's great. But while I can share a plate of food, I cannot share utensils with her. It, it's, it messes me up. The idea of like a fork that has scraped against her teeth or a spoon that she slurped from, I'm like, nah, bleh. no, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I, I don't understand, I just, I just can't. Like, or a straw, like, come on. I know how gravity works. Not all of that liquid made its way into her mouth. Some of it made its way back into the vessel. And I just, I can't get down with that. I just, it doesn't work for me. And, and while we're on the subject of, of platterware, uh, I am also convicted that most items served in bowls were never intended by God to be shared. Yogurt, soup, cereal. If you are sharing, I'm looking at someone who I've literally watched do this before. If you are sharing cereal with another human, you need therapy. That is disgusting. <laughs> and you're sitting next to a therapist. What, what, how wonderful. There you go. It's like ladling spit directly back into the bowl. It's just, ah, it, gets, it messes with me. And toothbrush, don't even get me started on toothbrushes, okay? If you have shared a truth, toothbrush with another human, you need to find a different church, all right? This is not, we are not your people, all right? I remember the first time Robin confessed to me that she accidentally used my toothbrush. I'm like, well, we had a good run. It was really good, you know? I hope your next husband likes that better. Okay, anyway. <laughs> But I'm a germaphobe, and as a germaphobe, there is no greater discomfort than the idea of being around people who are sick and potentially, <laughs> and potentially contagious. Like, there's nothing worse than being locked up in a car or on public transit with someone who's just coughing and sneezing and sniffling because they just wanted to be you know, generous with their germs to the rest of the world. In this post-pandemic society, I just don't think that's appropriate. Right? I just, it just messes with me. Because as a germaphobe, I live with this reality. I do not want what is on you to get on me. 
<laughs> That's like the amen moment for some people in the room today. Yeah, I do not want what's on you to get on me. However, as I've studied scripture, here's what I've noticed. This is where Jesus and I part quite a bit. This is where I'm still working on becoming quite a bit more Christ-like. Because as you read through the Gospels, you discover very quickly that Jesus felt very comfortable around sick people. He never worried about the contagions that were surrounding him. In fact, it, it often looks like he insists on being around people who are sick and potentially contagious. He rather enjoys it. The Bible says that at times there was like crowds of thousands of people that would, that would come and flock around Jesus. And it says that they were never courteous. They weren't wearing masks or covering their mouth when they, they coughed. They were pressing in to get around. They just wanted to get near the hem of his garment in hopes that he might heal. But Jesus was never like, you. <laughs> he, he embraced it. He subjected himself to it. He never seemed concerned about their condition. And I don't know that that reality is anywhere more prevalent than in this particular story in scripture. The story of Jesus and a leper in Mark chapter one. In fact, I wanna go on record and say, not only is this story one of the clearest pictures of Jesus's care for humanity, I think it's one of the most beautiful displays of how the gospel works. And I think you'll agree with me as we dive in and dig a bit deeper. Uh, let's go back to the first couple of lines of this story. Mark 1, verse 40, it says this. A man with an advanced case of leprosy came and he, he knelt in front of Jesus begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Very important language there. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and he touched this man. To, to fully understand the implications of this interaction, it's important to, to insert yourself into the cultural context of the events, to understand what's happening here in their day. At face value, it might just look like any normal healing of Jesus, like all of the others in scripture. But when you dig a bit deeper, you begin to realize that this is a shocking and scandalous and inappropriate interaction. Perhaps the most of them, the, 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 the worst of them in all of scripture. It's up there with the time that Jesus stopped people from stoning an adulterous woman or he interacted with a promiscuous woman at a well in Samaria. This is a big deal. In those days, in biblical times, the leprosy was a, a gruesome and an incurable disease. It started, you'd wake up one day and maybe you'd look down at one of your arms or one of your legs and you'd notice some discoloration in the pigment of your skin and Maybe you wouldn't think much of it at the time, but as the weeks went on and the months went on, that discoloration would uh, begin to develop into white spots on the skin, which would ultimately grow to these dermatological ulcers on the outside of the body. And eventually, once they became calcified, the, the hair would begin to fall out and things would progressively get worse as these lumps just made their way all over your body. As the disease progressed, it would attack your central nervous system and you begin to lose the feeling in all of your appendages, your extremities. And eventually as it ate away at you, your fingernails would fall off and then your toenails would fall off. And then as it began to eat away at the joints, you, you, you kind of get crippled. And eventually, I'm sorry if this is gross, but just to understand context, literally fingers would begin to fall off. Hands would fall off. You would literally be wasting away and dying. And the Bible tells us that this man was experiencing an advanced case of leprosy. 
meaning that many of the late stage symptoms were probably present. Furthermore, in addition to the physical torment, there was intense social and emotional torment that a leper would endure in biblical times. Because the disease was transmitted through touch, at the first sign of symptoms, a leper was immediately quarantined. And not to a room in a house, but literally to the outside of a city. If you were displaying symptoms, you were immediately escorted to a, a colony of other people suffering from the same disease that were forced to live their remaining days as they slowly died off in isolation. No friends, no family members, your only companion are other people that are wasting away like you are. A lonely and miserable existence. But to add insult to injury, there was also a spiritual suffering that a leper would endure. If you recall, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned in the story of blind Bartimaeus that the blindness he was experiencing culturally was understood to be punishment from God. It was this idea that you had sinned or your family had sinned and God was giving you this ailment, giving you this condition as discipline, punishment for your sin. Well, leprosy worked the same way. It was never contracted by chance. No, it was an outward display of God's hatred for you. So in addition to the physical torment and the emotional torment and the social torment, there is this spiritual reality this man is living with where he, he is lingering shame every single day of his life as his outward appearance is nothing more than a display of divine rejection. This is a rough go. And when you understand all of that cultural context, you begin to realize how incredibly inappropriate this interaction is. How incredibly inappropriate it would have been for a leper to run to the feet of a rabbi, a holy man, and fall down and beg to be made clean. Not only did he risk transmitting his leprosy to Jesus as a result of proximity, but if Jesus was who he claimed to be, this man had no business being anywhere near him. In fact, based on this man's condition, the culture would have told him, you put on a certain garment to identify yourself as a leper, and if you get within six feet, sound familiar to anybody? Within six feet of somebody who doesn't have leprosy, you're supposed to call out, unclean, unclean. Not, if you're willing, make me clean. And yet, this man, he rejects the cultural persuasion. He refuses to allow shame to cripple him and keep him where he's at. And he says, I must leave this place and fall, collapse, face first at the feet of Jesus because maybe with just a little bit of hope in my heart, maybe he can turn my reality around. Maybe he can do a miracle. Allow me to stop for just a moment and point out what might seem obvious but needs to be stated. That is faith. That is what faith looks like right there. If you wanna know what it looks like to come to Jesus by faith, follow in the footsteps of a leper. He says, by faith, I, I refuse to allow guilt and shame and anything else to keep me at a distance from God. I refuse to allow this idea that God wants nothing to do with me to keep me confined to this colony outside of the city. No, I will run and I will collapse and beg for mercy at the feet of Jesus. Even though I don't belong here, I believe that he has the ability to address my condition. That's what faith looks like. 
I can't imagine the tension going on in this man's head as he falls at the feet of Jesus. I know I don't belong here. I know I shouldn't, but there's something in me that just wants to be near to him. My mind's telling me no, but my faith is telling me yes. Like, I gotta get there. Why? Because he understood something by faith. I might be a wretch, but his goodness is greater than my failure. His power is greater than my performance. His mercy is greater than my mistakes. His forgiveness is greater than my sin. So I will fall at the feet of Jesus again and again and again because maybe he can take this hope and do something with it. Maybe he can shift my reality. Do not be fooled. Faith, it's not poetic language. A certain number of father gods as you pray. It's not spiritual posturing. Sometimes faith is messy, it's ugly, it's unrehearsed, it doesn't look appropriate. Sometimes the best version of faith is when you fall and collapse as a wretched, decaying individual at the feet of Jesus and say, all I've got is a little bit of hope in my heart that you might have the ability to do something about my situation. That's faith. And, and I would submit that that is the kind of faith that truly arrests the attention of Jesus. That's what we see in this story. As this man embraces the inappropriate and falls at the feet of Jesus. Look, look how Jesus responds. It says in Mark chapter one, verse 41, moved with compassion, Jesus, what? He reached out and touched. Can we say that together? He reached out and touched him. This is crazy. This is insane. Do not miss the significance of this short statement in Mark's gospel. This is a big deal. To touch a leper was to invite a death sentence. And li literally in Levitical law, if you were to come into contact with a leper, you were to quarantine for a minimum of seven days, not only to examine and see if you had contracted the disease, but also as a sign that the uncleanliness of the leper had been passed on to you. Their spiritual condition had been transmitted to you. Although the, the, the sickness itself may have not been contagious, the uncleanliness was, and you just received it. But Jesus doesn't seem to be bothered by that reality. He doesn't seem concerned that the uncleanliness of the leper has just touched him. He reaches out and lays his hands on this unclean man. And as he does, he makes a statement with his actions, a statement that doesn't just affect a guy in scripture, but affects every single one of us in this room. Here's what he says. I am willing to let what's on you get onto me. I am willing to let whatever you're carrying be transferred on to me. You're carrying shame? I'll take that shame. You're carrying some kind of condition that makes you think you don't belong anywhere near the Father? I will take that upon myself. You're carrying sickness, pain, trauma? I will take that upon myself. Isaiah 53, it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sin that weighed him down. Though we all like sheep have gone astray, the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Do not miss this, friends. This is not just Jesus healing a skin condition in the New Testament. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ at work right here in the first chapter of Mark's gospel. 
Jesus is saying with his actions, I'll take your shame, I'll take your sin, I'll take your failure, I'll take your mistakes, I'll take your past, whatever it is that you're carrying that keeps you at a distance, I will take it upon myself. Whatever you're carrying, you can lay it on me. As I was studying this week, I was researching uh, leprosy online and I stumbled across an article uh, that just unpacked this reality in such a greater way for me about a guy named Father Damien who was a Catholic missionary in the 1800s. Maybe you're familiar with his story. Uh, but he was later named a saint, I think in 2009. But I clipped an excerpt from this story that I wanted to read uh, just to help us wrap our heads around this reality. It says, on January 3rd in 1865, the kingdom of Hawaii, then a sovereign state, enacted an act to prevent the spread of leprosy. Any person suspected of having the disease would be inspected and if deemed incurable, they were permanently exiled to a peninsula on the island of Molokai. More than 8,000 people with leprosy, leprosy fell victim to this policy of permanent segregation over the next century. Surrounded by steep cliffs and treacherous ocean, the peninsula served as a natural prison and soon gathered a reputation as a de facto death sentence. But where many were sent to die, Father Damien moved willingly. He came to Hawaii as a young Catholic missionary in 1873 and voluntarily lived in the leprosy colony among the infected before contracting the disease himself and dying 16 years later in 1889. During his time on the island, he provided medical care, established an orphanage, built two chapels, multiple homes, and countless coffins for the dead. But what the people remembered most about Father Damien was while others were terrified of being around those with leprosy, he ate with them, often from the same pot, and was even known to share his pipe. I just want you to know I would share my pipe with you any day, all right? I tried to like make a gesture like that. And I'm like, clearly I don't smoke a pipe. I have no idea how to even hold the thing. There you go. It's good news for someone. I don't smoke a pipe. <laughs> I read through that article about this incredible man. As I sat in my office, I just contemplated this question. What would provoke somebody to willingly submit themselves to a certain death sentence like that? What conviction did Damien share with Jesus that caused him to rub shoulders with, eat from the same pot, share a pipe with those whom he knew would transmit what they were carrying onto him? What, what provokes somebody to do that? And as I was sitting there in my office, the Holy Spirit dropped this little sentence in my heart. And if you remember nothing else from this sermon, I pray you remember this line right here. Here's what he said. What Damien understood and what Jesus displays in this text is that if I don't let what's on them get onto me, then what's on me will never get onto them. Hear that again, please. What Jesus is stating here is if I don't let what's on this man get onto me, then what's on me will never get on to him. Yeah, yeah, I know you're contagious, but so am I. <laughs> I know that you're carrying something, 
but I'm carrying something as well. I know that by coming into contact with you, by inserting myself into your sphere, I will inherit that which you're carrying. But my hope and prayer is that I wouldn't just catch what you're carrying, but that you would catch something that I'm carrying as well. Listen to me. This is not a one-way transaction. This is an exchange. This is a two-way street. Damien did not just go to Hawaii to get leprosy, which is a really bad reason to go to Hawaii if you're considering it. Damien went to Hawaii because he said to himself, I am willing to take leprosy upon myself if it means that I can give a dying, hurting people Jesus in the process. And Jesus did not just lay hands on this man so that the uncleanliness of his life could be transferred onto Jesus. In an act of prophetic foreshadowing, Jesus said, I will take what you are carrying on your life so that I can give you something greater in exchange. Come on, that's worth a baby amen at the 11 o'clock service right there. This is an exchange. Let, let me show you how it works. Uh, it's been a few weeks since I've used any props, and I'm well overdue. So I've got pent-up prop aggression, and we're going to go somewhere with this today. Um, I need two volunteers. Seth, let me borrow you real quick. And Drew, since you've already been up here, come on up here real quick. Uh, give it up for these guys, would you? Now, I would ask which of these we're going to call Jesus and the, which one we're going to call the leper, but I think it's clear which one looks like Jesus. <laughs> Let's, okay, yeah. So we're going to go Jesus here, and uh, we're going to go the, the leper. Okay, there you go. Uh, now, I, I mentioned earlier that the lepers were forced to wear identifiable garments uh, so that those around them knew that they were unclean. Uh, ironically, it was the same garment that you would wear if you were mourning the dead because the society at the time believed that the lepers were nothing more than the walking dead. Uh, and so this week, I went on to Amazon to try to find leper clothing, and uh, shockingly, they did not have any available. Uh, I thought it would make a great Christmas gift for somebody, but no, it, it's, it's nowhere to be found. So instead, I got the, uh, the next best thing. Um, I got leopard clothing, so... Drew, if you could put that on for me here real quick. True story, actually, while he's putting that on. Oh, I think the sleeve is stuck in there. Uh, while he's putting that on, years ago, uh, I was preaching a sermon uh, at a, as a, when I was a youth pastor, and I was talking about uh, a different story of, of lepers, and my daughter, who was four years old at the time, came to church with us that night for some reason. I don't remember why. Uh, but all night long, I kept saying, leper, leper, leper. And we get in the car later that night, and she's like, Daddy, I did not know the Bible had so much to say about leopards. And I'm like... Oh, you thought I said, so if this is the first time you realize I've not been talking about leopards the whole time and I've been talking about lepers, this is for you. Okay, you're welcome. Okay. Uh, Jesus, I'm going to need you to put on some white clothes right here. There you go. Put that one on. It looks great on you, Drew. It's a women's robe too, by the way. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. There are two... <laughs> Two general misunderstandings about faith, misconceptions about faith. Uh, the first is this, that when we come to Jesus in our broken, spotted condition, and we fall at his feet, thank you, and we beg for forgiveness, <laughs> you're doing way better than they did last service, good job. They're like, I don't know how to act. What do I do with my hands? Okay, you're doing great. That in that moment, when we ask Jesus for forgiveness, he gives us his salvation and he covers us 
with this forgiveness that allows us access to heaven. So now we get up and we live our life and we celebrate the fact that we're saved. Yeah. And we're on our way to heaven. But the problem with this understanding of faith is that if salvation is nothing more than a cloak we use to cover up that which we once were, it never really deals with the underlying condition. You're still broken. You're still ashamed. You're still failing and falling with, with no chance at ever breaking free. Salvation, it becomes nothing more than about eternity, but you never get freedom here on earth. You never see the bond of, of sin broken so that you can live truly for Christ. And sadly, this is what many people's Christian existence looks like. This tension where they're trying to navigate how to live with the old nature and the new nature at the same time. By the way, this is what you look like in the spirit if you've not yet been water baptized. Let me be honest with you today because I know that there's a lot of people, I'm not sure if I want to step over that line. You can live with that tension as long as you want, but that's up to you. Because scripture says in Romans chapter eight that it's in the waters of baptism that the old man dies and remains underneath those waters and that you begin to put on your new nature and live as Christ has intended for you to live. But you weren't supposed to live like this. This constant tension where it's like two polarities of a magnet fighting against each other. And I want to do what is right, but I can't. That's, that's not how this was supposed to be. But that's how so many believers live their life. Secondarily, another misconception of faith is that when we come to Jesus, we shed, take off, cast upon him all of the things that we don't like about ourselves. That, that oh, I don't want my shame, my guilt, my sin, my this, and so I'm just going to cast this on to Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week. We're going to unpack the story of another group of lepers, 10 of them who were healed and only one who came back to Jesus. But, but often this is how we treat Jesus, like he's a garbage disposal. We just keep throwing all the stuff on him that we don't like about ourselves and our sin and our failure. And yet we never really take on his nature. We never learn to give or serve or become more like Christ. And we just live life as if he's a magic coat rack that we can cast all the stuff we don't like about ourselves on, but we never are truly transformed. Nothing really changes. By the way, this is what dead religion does. It says, oh, you go out there, live your life however you wanna live, just come back to church once a week or once a month or on Christmas and Easter, say your prayers, do your Hail Marys and go back out and live your life however you wanna live it. That's what this looks like. But this is not how we were intended to live either. This was never about us just casting our sin onto Jesus or him trying to cover our sin up without addressing the underlying issue. No, it's supposed to be an exchange. Watch, all right, ready? Follow me. Mark chapter one, back on the screen for just a moment. After Jesus heals this leper, Look at what takes place. Mark adds this tiny little detail that is so significant into his gospel. The man went into the city and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he could no longer openly enter the city. 
He had to stay outside in the secluded places. Remind me again, where was the leper before he met Jesus? Outside the city. Where did the leper go after he met Jesus and was healed? Into the city. Where was Jesus restricted to after he touched this leper? Outside the city. This was an exchange. This was not a one-time experience or a one-way transaction. Jesus took the punishment of this leper upon himself. He said, you can throw all of your shame, all of your sin, all of your condition on me, and I will exchange places with you. I will allow you to go into the city where you could not access before. I'll stay in the restricted places and you can have the freedom that was once mine. They traded places. They exchanged realities. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ Jesus in him. It's an exchange. He doesn't just take your sickness, he gives you divine healing. He doesn't just take your lack, he gives you divine provision. He doesn't just take your addiction, he gives you divine freedom. He doesn't just forgive your sin, he gives you his righteousness. Beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, gladness for a spirit of despair. Yeah, you can come to Jesus just as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay where you are. And so he says, if you will give me all of yourself, I'll give you all of me in return. This was an exchange. Thank you, gentlemen. You can take your seat. Give it up for these guys. As they take their seats, worship team, you guys can come. We're going to conclude here because I'm officially 33 seconds out of time. So listen, I don't have things I can share because we got to close. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question. Ask you a question. Do this every week. We're going to make this personal so that it's not just some scripture captured in timeless text, but it becomes a reality. Here's the question. Ready? What do you need to exchange today? What do you need to exchange? Are, Are you wearing two garments, trying to navigate that tension as you figure out, like, why am I not seeing freedom in my life? Uh, Are you wearing no garments, just doing the religious thing where you come in and out of church or say the prayer again and again, lift your hands 74 times to get saved because there's never been an exchange. What do you need to exchange today? And let me be clear, this is not a one-time event. Yes, it starts with salvation. Maybe that is the exchange someone here needs to make today where you give Jesus your life and he gives you eternal life in return. I was praying with a man after the first service, uh, a Jewish man today who grew up as a, as a reformed Jew in an Orthodox family and lifted his hand in the first service and said, I'm ready to trade it all in and come to Jesus. And we talked afterwards and man, it's such a powerful moment. Maybe that's what you need to do today. But maybe you did that a long time ago and you need to make a different kind of exchange today. Maybe you need to exchange shame for confidence. Maybe you need to exchange this aimless wandering, trying to figure out how to find purpose for God's plan. Maybe you need to exchange anxiety for peace today. 
First Peter 5-ish, I think. Cast your cares upon Jesus. Cast your anxieties on Jesus because he cares for you. He will give you peace of mind in exchange. But what do you need to exchange? And as you wrestle with that question, I wanna conclude a little bit differently today. Uh, as I was studying this week, I could not stop thinking about and singing a song that uh, throughout my 20s was an anthem I, I listened to on repeat over and over and over again and, uh, as I was praying. And uh, it, just, it just kept coming up this week. And so here's what I'd like to do. Um, if you could just maybe close your eyes for a moment. I'm gonna read the lyrics of this song Ruben Morgan wrote in 2010 that I hope will inspire you to make that exchange today. Such a powerful declaration. He's saying, you were near though I was distant. distant. Disillusioned, I was lost and insecure. Still mercy fought for my intention. You were waiting at the door. Trading your life for my offenses, for my redemption, you carried all the blame. Breaking the curse of our condition, perfection took our place. Holy are you, God. Holy is your name. You gave your life in a beautiful exchange. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray you'd speak to every person in this room. As we let the weight of that question settle in on our spirits, we give you access, give you permission to speak. I believe the Holy Spirit, if you're faithful to just tune in with the ears of your heart for a moment, he'll begin to show you, son, daughter, will you hand that over to me so I can give you something else in exchange? God, bring peace for anxiety. Bring health for sickness. Bring wholeness for brokenness. Freedom for addictions. It's who you are. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to bring good news to those that are suffering. Cap every captive will go free. Ashes being traded in for beauty, thank you. Thank you that this is what you do. And maybe today as others are considering that question, maybe you're here this morning and you say, Tim, I am one of those that needs to exchange my life for eternal life. I don't know that if I were to pass today that I would enter into heaven and things have not been good between me and Jesus and I need to make a commitment to follow him this morning. If that's you, I wanna help you make that exchange today by praying a simple prayer of commitment but as we do, if you need to be included in that prayer, people aren't looking around, it's between me, you and Jesus, but if that's you, would you just quickly lift up your hand and say, Tim, that's me, I, I need to pray with you this morning. Thank you, got you, awesome. Yeah, right over here, bro. Yeah, right here, awesome. <laughs> right on, man, thank you for being bold. Yeah. All right, church, here's what we're gonna do with those lifting their hand or even with those that maybe were afraid to do so. We're gonna pray together as a family as they make this commitment. So would you all just repeat after me? Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to make an exchange. You can have my sin. You can have my past. You can have my failures. And in exchange, 
I receive your salvation. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with every single one of those making a decision to follow Jesus today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.